Uh, well, guys, we close out 2022 with me sharing a prayer with you. Uh, many of you, I've, I've already heard, uh, many are starting to kind of starting to catch on. They're beginning to pray the same prayer. If not, um, well, guess what? It's going to be our prayer. We're asking you to join us in this. So this is our prayer as we head into 2023. We're about three months out from being in our new building. Uh, and, and, and listen, this is something the Lord's been calling us to. So this is the prayer. Ready? Um, in the next 100 days, we would like to see uh, the Lord add 100 people, $100,000 in 100 days. Uh, now, God's already showed up uh, in the month of December. I think he provided about 30000 of that 100000 I told you guys some of that's going to come through um, giving above and beyond. Some of it's going to come, hopefully, um, from uh, people involved in this construction project, owning up to their mistakes and just paying that out. So we hope all that stuff works out. We're just praying, God, these are the needs. Lord, your provider, just show up and do this. Um, but, but listen, we knew from the very beginning when we were about to open a new building that a time would come during all this where our focus would have to become on people. Because we are building a building not for us, but to reach people. Which means that we have to um, rethink about why we come to church, about what we're doing here, and about what it's really about. And, and I kind of shared this vision with you guys when we first started this project is, what if we became a church that when we showed up, we weren't thinking, I wonder if I'm going to like the music. I wonder if that guy that talks is going to say something meaningful to me. But if when we got up Sunday morning, the first thing in our mind was, how can I serve someone today? How can I be Jesus to someone today? How different would a church uh, that's oriented like that look in our world today? And I think it'd look radically different. And so, so uh, unabashedly, the next six weeks, we're going to focus on people. All right? Uh, so th this series is called When Necessary. So what, what's the purpose of that? Well, maybe you've heard this quote. Um, right? When we, we talk about here over the next... By the way, um, we're like 10 to 12 weeks out from opening the doors. Okay? So 10 to 12 weeks out, I'm not trying to like mess with you too much. I'm not great at math, but 100, uh, 100 divided by 10 is, is 10, right? Okay, so I just, just like, okay, I made it through elementary. Uh, so we're talking about 10 people a week adding to our number. Adding, sticking, right? Not just coming, sticking. Uh, so it's just, just keep that in mind as you begin to look around. Uh, the reason we're doing that is the sanctuary is pretty big, and we're going to offer two services. We've got great kids programs offered during both, um, right? So we're hoping you see balance in those services. Our first service looks like this. Our second service uh, that we'll have at 1115 uh, is about 60 folks. So we've got room for another 100 people uh, there. And, and what we want is when people walk in a new building, uh, regardless of which service they choose, that they walk into a service that is full of people that love Jesus and are committed to loving them well. That's the goal. So we've got some work to do in the next 100 days. So when necessary, what's that about? Uh, well, maybe you've heard this quote. I'll put it up on the screen. It goes something like this. Share the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Seems super religious. Uh, in fact, we've made it even more religious. Um, we've determined that that came from um, St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, only one problem, uh, in all of his writings, which he wrote a lot, he started a whole uh, Franciscan movement. Um, so you can go check out all his writings. In all of his writings, and all the biographers that wrote about him, uh, not one of those people actually has this quote. He didn't, he didn't write it down. Uh, nobody that, that followed his life wrote it down. So, so it's, it's really not from him. Uh, he, even, he didn't really even say anything really even like that uh, necessarily. But, but we like it, and, and we like it for a couple of reasons. One, uh, there is some biblical truth to that statement. There's a lot of biblical truth. In fact, that's where we'll start this morning. But two, and, and, and here's the one I want to talk to you about this morning. We like that statement because it calls us 
away from the uncomfortable call of Jesus to actually go and make disciples. And we would much rather do that if we don't have to say anything. Right? We live in a generation of people that these days would rather schedule a doctor's appointment, not by calling, but if they could text or do it online, they're in. Right? Same thing with grocery orders. If I don't have to see people or interact with people, then I'm all about that. There's only one problem with all of that, is that God made people in his image and sent his one and only son to die a cruel death on the cross to redeem people. And we've got to stop being avoiders of people and instead become people that start pressing into the dirty, yucky, messy, broken lives of people like Jesus did because we care greatly about them. And so uh, kind of the foundational statement of this whole series is that it's necessary. It's necessary we start using our words. So, uh, but I'm going to meet you where you are. So let's start here. First point. First point. I want to say this uh, just to, to help you out. How we live is absolutely important to a watching world. Okay? How we live is absolutely important to a watching world. So listen, if you're that person that loves that statement, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I'm with you. I am with you 100%. It is so important how we live uh, to a a world that is watching us. I'm with you. Yes, our lives do need to reflect what we believe. Um, If you're doing our our church-wide Bible reading plan, which got emailed out to you last Sunday, got texted to you Monday, uh, we've got physical copies down here up front, uh, little blue and white papers uh, that you can take home with you. We started Romans uh, this week, and so we're we're five chapters into Romans. Um, It's not too late. You can catch up. And and so uh, those are free. Come grab those. But we started Romans this week, and in Romans 2, here's what you read, and, and Paul is, is writing to um, this, this mixed, diverse group. Some are, are believers, they're Gentiles, some are not. And so to the Jews, he says this in Romans 2, uh, he's trying to uh, show them why they need grace. He says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And then of course the answer is yes, because nobody can live out the law perfectly. That's why Jesus came. And he says this, he says, for as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's saying, the Gentiles are blaspheming God because you say that the law is enough, yet you break the law all the time. Christians, I love you. Uh, Gentiles, uh, we call those non-believers at this point, non-believers are watching you. And when you come to church and you say that you love Jesus and you say that you're changed and you say that he's enough and you say that his ways are right, but then you do the things that don't line up with Scripture, guess what? The world looks at you and they go, something's wrong with that, and they end up blaspheming the name of God. So listen, I'm with you, right? When we say share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, yes, the heart behind that statement is that our lives should match what we believe. And I'm with you there 100%, and so is Jesus. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew 5, 16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's an instruction. He says, do this. Live, live, your, way, live your life in such a way that it's so good, that, that you love God so much, that you love people so much, that they see you and they're like, what's wrong with that person? Like something, like you stand, he's like, yeah, live lives that stand out in the world where, where, you know, everybody's out for themselves, but you're giving yourself away to others. Like live that kind of life. He says, yeah, you should stand out like that, right? Uh, Paul would say in Philippians that you should shine like stars in the heavens as you hold out the word of life, as you live out the word uh, of life. And so there is an instruction. So I, I started here, guys, I'm with you. How we live is absolutely important to a watching world. But that statement, that statement 
share the gospel at all times when necessary, use words, is only partially true. Right? It's true, but it's only half the story. What I'm saying to you is you've got to use words. You've got to use words. So that's what I want to spend the rest of my time this morning talking to you about is why we have to use words, why our words are necessary. And there's three reasons for that. So point number two, here's the first reason. Our words are necessary in sharing the gospel because Jesus commands us to use them. Okay? So listen, I love you. I get you. Uh, I know what social anxiety can be about. A good chunk of my life, I was not who you see before you today. Uh, I hated talking in front of people. I didn't even necessarily talk in front of classes. Uh, I was pretty reserved. I know you guys are like, there's no stinking way. It's true. It's absolutely true. And so a good chunk of my life, now my wife is like, who are you? I will talk to anybody anywhere. She, you know, she's like, stop it. Stop. They don't necessarily want to talk to you. I'm like, how do you know that? You don't know that. Our words are necessary because Jesus commands us to use them. So I, I, I told you, if you have your Bibles, to be in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. And I want to highlight a few things. And this is what it says. It, it, Jesus is speaking. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe everything I've commanded you. And he says, and remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so I kind of want to highlight this. The first thing uh, he says, he said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. So uh, how do we make disciples? That's a good question. Do we make disciples just by showing them what to do? So if you got a new job, and uh, let's say it was producing a widget, Okay. So there's a widget that needs to be produced, and, uh, and it has to be done a certain way. And so your boss doesn't speak, and he just walks up to you, and he grabs things, and he tinkers, and he turns this, and he turns that. And, and you're watching. I mean, you're paying attention. You're trying to jot things down. What, what do you think your success rate of successfully producing an exact replica of the widget that he produced is going to be if he never says anything to you and you're, you're just watching, how long do you think it's going to take you to get it? It's going to take you a while, right? It's going to take you a while, right? And it's not that that's not important. In fact, I, I think that's crucial to teaching. Uh, one of the things that you'll see around this church is that the leadership of this church is always willing to do everything we ask you to do, right? So we ask you to, to, to show up early and clean up toilets or, or, or to suck up water that's flooded or take out drywall or to haul trash. You're going to see your church leadership is always there with you doing the same things we're asking you to do and, and hopefully modeling behavior for you. That's part of what we believe in. So it's really important that we do show people the way to live and how to love and how to deal with criticism and how to deal with difficulty and how to parent and how to love your wife, right? So that's important, but it's also important to talk about what you're doing, right? And so Jesus says, go and make disciples. Now that phrase there, uh, this is where it gets you to start with, is the phrase make disciples in Greek literally means to teach. Go, go, go teach. That's what it says. So, so he literally is saying it's necessary for you to use your words. That's necessary. But, but he goes on. He says, go make disciples all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he says, and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. Now that, that, that phrase, teaching them, is actually a different word in Greek. But it means basically the same thing. It means teach, be a teacher. It means instruct. Get this, it means explain. And so we're going to put together the model that Jesus kind of lays out for his followers. Is he says this, hey, if you're going to follow me, Here's the expectation, ready? Uh, live a life that loves God so much and loves others so much that people take notice of you, okay? 
They should notice. They should praise God for you. Because you're so good. Okay? And when they do, explain to them how. Explain to them the difference, and it ain't you. Explain to them the love and the mercy and the grace that you have received in Jesus. Explain to them that you were lost and you've been found. That you were dead and now you're alive. That you were blind and now you see. That you were far away and now you have this relationship that you can barely explain. You have to explain to them. You have to teach them who Jesus is and why you are changed. It's absolutely necessary, okay? It's absolutely necessary. So we begin uh, there when we talk about why our words are necessary. The second point, our words are necessary in sharing the gospel because Jesus commands us to use them. Uh, But more than that, not only does he command us to use them, but our words are necessary because the gospel, um, because sharing the gospel, our words are necessary. Let me say this. Can I say this out? Listen, I'm on like my fourth cough drop, so I'm not sure what's in them, but they're working. Excuse me, let me grab one more while we're at it. Uh, All right. Our words are necessary in sharing the gospel because faith comes by hearing. Okay? Our words aren't just necessary because Jesus commands them, but our words are necessary because that's how someone comes to faith. Because faith actually comes by hearing. Uh, So if you have your Bibles and you're trying to follow along, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 10 now. If you want to turn there, and I'm going to start in verse 13, uh, one, of, one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. Uh, it, it says this, this is the claim, this is what people need to hear. Uh, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good? Amen? Who? Who? How, how many? Just a, just a few? Is it, is it just for the good folks? It's just for the people that have got their stuff together, right? And you may be thinking, that ain't me. All right? That's okay. That ain't me either. Right? But that's not what Scripture says. It's not, hey, for the people that have it all together, uh, they'll be saved. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then look at the very next verse, verse 14. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without somebody preaching or teaching them? And how can they teach or preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We're meant to be those beautiful feet. But not, also all, uh, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed in our message? But verse 17, I'll put it on the screen. It says, so faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes from the message about Christ. So let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian this morning, uh, how did you come to know the Lord? How did you come to know the Lord? Anybody want to shout out? We're in church. It's okay. If I ask you to participate, you can. So, someone spoke. How, how many of it was a family member? Anybody have a family member told you about Jesus? Okay, awesome. How many it was a friend? Uh, how, many, how many somebody uh, invited you and drug you to some kind of church-like event? And, and you heard the gospel preached, right? Okay, so here, here's what I'm going to say to you. Uh, most of us did not just, just one day uh, all of a sudden notice that we had a hole in our life and we're like, uh, 
oh, maybe there's a God. God, if you're real, show. Like, I've heard, I've heard that, like, that's occasional. But the majority of the people come to faith because somebody said something to them. Right? That's, that's your story. That's my story. Somebody said something to them. Somebody invited them. Something, somebody invaded their life and said, hey, I've got something different for you. They used their mouth, right? In the 70s, statistics showed that 85 to 90% of people that came to faith, came to faith uh, via, through a family member or a friend, talking to them about the Lord. Okay? Those statistics have radically changed in the 2000s. Um, that percentage is down to 60%. Okay, 60% of people come to faith through a friend or a family member. About 20% come to faith uh, through somebody that they would consider church staff, not necessarily paid, but somebody that's working for the church. And then there would be about 10 to 11% uh, that they say, well, I just found it myself. No, you didn't. Um, anyway, but they realized they had a need. They showed up at a church. They heard the gospel. Um, but the, the truth is they heard. All heard, Right? All heard. Our words are necessary because for people to come to faith, listen to me, for people to be saved, and you say, what are they saved from? We've, if, if you started reading Romans this week, y'all, first five chapters, they're saved from the wrath of God. Okay? That, that, that's, that's how, like if you wanted to start the gospel, it's not like, hey, woohoo, this is fun. But be like, why do I need to be saved? I don't, because the wrath of God that created everything is coming back, and, and, and like, he's never fully poured it out. That's scary, right? So floods the earth, that wasn't the full pouring out of his wrath. That freaks me out a little bit, okay? And so, but a day's coming when he's going to go, hey, I did all this for you people that I made in my image, you, you rejected me, but it's cool. I, I sent my very best, my one and only son, to die for you. And everyone who believes is with me. You're my people. I'm your God. We'll be together forever. I'll drive out this horrible thing called sin. That guy named Satan's going to be chained, thrown into a lake of fire forever. Never have to deal with him. No hurt, no temptation, no sin, no cancer, no death. No, like, all gone. Just me and you going to be awesome. Right? But man, for those that to the day they died, dug in and refused me and mocked the gift of my one and only son Jesus, I will unleash a holy wrath. That's not fun. Welcome to church. Happy New Year. Okay? I'd rather talk about a lot, but that's, but that's the truth. And so if I'm going to talk about why my words are necessary, people can't come to faith and receive the great gift of Jesus, which is eternal life, love of God, adoption into the family of God, all of the blessing of God. They, they don't get to avoid all that other stuff unless they hear. And so the question for us is then, what are we doing? Why aren't we speaking? Right? I'll give you one more reason why our words are necessary. Last point this morning that our words are necessary because of the great needs surrounding us. Our words are necessary because of the great needs surrounding us. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he is always acutely aware of his surroundings. Always. So, so Jesus, um, this, is, this is the one that grabs me. Uh, have you ever had a big day? Like a big day? It was a big day for you, 
right? And big days for you, you get a little nervous, but you're focused on the big day, right? Like, oh, this is going to be awesome. All right, so big day for Jesus. Uh, he's going to fulfill uh, hundreds and hundreds of year old prophecy. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on, on a colt, um, on the fall of a donk, right? He's going to ride in, and people are going to take off their outer garments and lay them down, and they're going to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! They're going to realize he's the Messiah. Right? Ah, this is huge! This is a big day! But I want you to notice his focus on this big day. Ready? Watch, before he does all that, look at his heart. Ready? This is what it says. As he approached and he saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would have brought you peace? That's his heart on his big day. On his big day, his heart is the fact that all of these people missed him. And they're, they're now going to be enemies of God. They're just going to stay in that condition here. He's like, I'm the answer, and you missed me. He's always acutely aware of the need of the surrounding people. Don't believe me? Just look at when he teaches. Matthew 9, uh, put it on the screen for you. It says this. <clears throat> it's coming. <clears throat> Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease, every sickness, and when he saw the crowds, y'all notice this, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. He's saying they were lost. When Jesus looked out at people, he didn't see what political party they belonged to. He didn't, he didn't see how they were dressed. He didn't see how much money they made. When he looked at people, he saw hurt. He saw that they were lost. That was his focus. That's why he came, to seek and save the lost. And so it's just, this is what he says to his disciples, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So here's a solution. Pray that God will send workers out into this harvest. That's meant to be us, y'all. That, that's his plan. The plan of God, the great commission, is to send us out into the harvest. That's how... It works. That's why I came. I want to share some sobering statistics with you that I'm going to let you go. Okay, so here we go. That's awesome. Um, these are from 2007, so these are outdated. It's the best I can find on Barna's website. I actually emailed them this week said, hey, y'all should update these. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Estimated 73 million adults presently unchurched in the United States of America. When teens and children are added, the total swells to roughly 100 million Americans. 100 million Americans. Uh, 10 to 15 million of that number from 2007 uh, were said to be believers. People that believed in Jesus yet were unchurched. probably a responsibility of those in church for those 10 to 15 million, I would say, uh, and especially for all those that, that are not believers, okay? But here's what I'm going to say to you. Uh, we're post-COVID, post-global pandemic, and I promise you those numbers are way higher now. I 100% guarantee it. Uh, because most churches I know are operating at about 70% of where they were pre-COVID. Uh, our numbers have made it to about 80% of where we were pre-COVID, um, so thank, thank God for that. 
Uh-huh. But 70%, that means 30% of people that said they were believers that used to be in church are now part of that. No, I'm not. I'm out of church. I'm, I'm, un, I'm unchurched. Some, some of those may be watching online. Many of those just are sleeping and drinking coffee, spending the morning in their PJs out in the garden. Okay? It, it's a big deal. So I, I want to put this into perspective, though, with, for you. So 100 million, anybody have a tough time kind of figuring out how big that is? Like, eh, that's a number, Jason. So let's put it in perspective. So if it were only 100 million, we know it's more than that now, because uh, that was 2007, now we're post-pandemic. But, but it, it, just talking about the unchurched in the United States of America, so you understand, uh, if the unchurched population in the United States were a nation of its own, that group would be the 12th most populated nation on earth. Right before Japan. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. Those are our neighbors. Those are the people that we pass at the grocery store if we dare ever walk in. It's the people that we work with if we ever go into the office. It's the people we drive past. And they are part of the 12th largest nation, the nation of the unchurched people in the United States of America. And Jesus said, I tell you, look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. What do we do? We've got to start praying that we would send workers. So our emphasis is, is going to be that. So the question then becomes, what do we do? Because that seems big, Amen. Seems a little too big for you. Like, that's, that's too big for me, Pastor. So what do we do? Well, we set a goal is what we do. So, so here's our goal uh, here in this church. This is what we, we're praying that the Lord will do in us. Uh, is Here's our goal. Ready? Every member is a missionary. That's the goal. Every member is a missionary. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. I'm not a missionary. Those are those special people that go overseas and they give up their entire life to go and, 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 and slum it. And they, you know, That's your view of missionary. Completely wrong. The 12th largest unreached people group on earth is here. And we walk around like it's not a reality. And it should affect us at some point. At some point, we've got to stop thinking about us and what makes us comfortable and what we want. And we have to be focused on the fact that God has placed us amongst the 12th largest nation of unreached people and we don't have to go anywhere except across the street. That's it. And if the church in America would take up the banner of the gospel of Jesus and understand what the Great Commission is, then the world would be changed. And it can start right here. Right here where you are. Isn't that good news? Because some of you are afraid of flying over water. I get it. Or eating foods that you don't like. You can eat McDonald's and still do this. I'll pray for you. I can only do a little bit. Every member of missionary, why? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is called the Great Commission. I don't know if you know a lot about English. But that word co, right? That word co is a prefix. It literally means together. That's what co means. It's, it's, it's not, we like to say commission, because that makes us feel better. Well, that's just a word. It's a, something great. I'm not great. No. We call it the great co, co, first together. We're all in it. You believe in Jesus, you're in it. Welcome. Here we go. 
We're in it together. And, and then what's the second word? Hello? Mission. It's the co, it's not the commission. It's the co-mission. It is the together mission of God to save lost people. That's it. And that's why we exist. That is literally why we exist, that we are together in the mission of God. That's why you exist. You're part of the team. So play. Stop riding the bench. All right? You know what really stinks? There's children, so I'm using stinks here. I really want to say another word so bad. You know what really stinks is being on a team and never seeing any playing time? You come for training, you know? You learn things that you didn't know before. You practice things, and then you just ride the pine. There's no bench in the kingdom. So if you're sitting on it, you made it. Love you. But if you're sitting on the sidelines, you made that bench. God didn't. Didn't. There's no bench in the co-mission. The together mission of God, all in. All in. So what do we do? Okay, here we go. I'll let you go. Number one, we have to start praying about lostness. Pray about lostness, okay? So we give you application every week. Um, believe it or not, it is not just so you can fill out a blank. Um, it's actually meant for you to go home and think about and to work on. It's meant to be homework. That's why I do it. I've done it every uh, sermon of my life for, uh, I've been doing it, oh, I've been here, okay, like 23 years, okay? Since I've been teaching for 23 years, I always give application. That application is actually, like the goal of it is that you do it. So if like, you can't, well, what do I need to do because of the message? Like, I'm trying to give you things you can do because of the message. Number one, start praying about lostness. That word should make you uncomfortable. Uh, I always have my staff proofread my stuff. Um, usually, if I make a mistake, it's all on me. But I try to have them proofread it so it's, it's not just on me because um, my English is great. Uh, just like to share in that responsibility. Uh, so Frankie was going over it, and Frank's so good. He catches so many of my errors. Uh, he said, lostness? I don't like that word. And I was like, me either. That's why I used it. It's like, shouldn't we just, like, pray about the lost? It'd be better if we can just label them a people group. That's not it. Let's pray about lostness, right? Why, why do I say that? Because that means something. So I want you this week to pray about the reality of hell. Just read your Bible. I wish I could take it out of there, but you can't. Read your Bible. It's real. A time is coming when Jesus comes back and those people that have rejected him are going to be separated from the love of God forever. And it's horrible. Just read about it. If you can honestly study that and pray about that and be unchanged, oh man, I can't. So just, just read it. So then, then, then study the heart of Jesus. Right? I, I don't know. How do you see people? Man, I can see people so messed up. Are, are anybody else get a little judgy from time to time? Anybody else see people and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like there's a list of things you want to tell them right away. Because we can all be that way. But man, Jesus wasn't that way. He didn't look out at people and have a problem with their political affiliation or their place in life or what they wore. When he saw people, he had compassion because he saw the hurt. Every person you come into contact this week, and they may be a jerk. They may be the meanest person you've ever come into But every person you come into contact this week is hurting. Every single one. Some are going to hide behind being a jerk. 
Some are going to hide by being an introvert. Some are going to hide by diving headlong into sin. Right? But every single one of them is hurting. And Jesus, this is what's unique. He looks at people and that's all he sees is hurt. So he deals with everyone carefully. Isn't that crazy? How different would our world be if we just dealt with people cautiously because we believe they were probably hurting? Then I can take offense of somebody else because I know there's probably hurt behind all the ugliness in their words towards me, right? And so I, I got to have that heart of Jesus. Uh, last question I would ask is, when's the last time you were broken over uh, the lost? When's the last time you, you, you saw it and you just wept? And so when I say pray about lostness, that, that should be part of the prayer. God, break my heart. God, make me, make me have a heart. Twelfth largest unreached people group is in my backyard, Lord. That should mean something to me. And the fact that it doesn't, I hate it. God, change me. Pray that prayer. Pray about lostness. Two, uh, start investing in building relationships with people outside the church. Um, you're never going to reach unchurched people if you only hang out with church people. Love you. I know you're like, oh my gosh, what is the pastor saying? I'm saying go be like Jesus and eat with people that didn't go to church. Right? I'm not saying you have to live like they, they live. I'm not saying you have to do everything they do. I'm not saying you have to talk the way they talk. I'm saying you can go be a light in their life. I, I, I hang out with people all the time. And at some point, we'll be hanging out, we'll be talking. And somebody will ask what I do. And they realize all the things that they've said up until that point. <laughs> it happens all the time. Hanging out at some kind of gathering, right? Um, you know, some, people are having a few drinks. They're throwing them down. You know, we're just talking about life. Uh, talking about football. Oh, I'm effing, you know, whatever. Hey, what do you do anyway? I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh my gosh, forgive me. <laughs> like, like, listen, man, it's, it's cool. Like, I'm just a person. And I'm here because I love you. And I just want to hang out with you and spend time with you. You've got to start investing in people. Guys, it's, it's one of our, our, our things around here. We've really said we feel like the Lord's put on our heart. We want every family to identify at least seven families that they want to start investing time in. Investing time in the life of seven families. Uh, it begins with prayer. Uh, we've got prayer cards up here and in, in, the, in the front where you came in, uh, back there. And it's days of the week. You, you select one family for one day of the week and you commit to just praying for that family. It could be a family that your kids play sports with. I mean, it could be awesome. By the way, parents, you're in the best place to help make disciples. You know why? Because you have kids, and it's easier. And so you become the family that invites kids over on Saturday night. Uh, you, you become that family. Hey, you know what? Saturday's going to stink, right? Um, we're going to have to feed a lot more people. It's going to smell here. The shower's going to be rougher. Um, I'm probably not going to get any sleep, but all of those kids are coming to church on Sunday. You just be that family. Be like, that's going to be us, right? And, and you just embrace that. Say, man, that's going to be our role, right? That's going to be our role. Uh, when I was a student minister forever, uh, this, was, this was my heart for my students. So when we would have altar calls, uh, I, I, I didn't do a lot of things well in student ministry. But one thing I did is I told my students to have heart for the lost. They prayed for lost people on a regular basis. They saw themselves as missionaries in their schools. And so when it came to church services, there were more students at the altar than there ever were adults. Because every Sunday they were there praying for lost people, Right? And we just got to be those kind of people. Start investing relationships with people outside the church. Uh, number three, practice talking about your faith with others. That seems weird, right? Uh, how do I practice talking about my faith? You start by just talking about God. 
Hey, uh, and you can start in your family, especially teenagers. You're like, I don't know how to do this with my friends. It's okay. This is what God gave you parents for. You can get all the awkwardness out with them. And then you go talk to your friends and it's easier. So talk to your parents. Be like, hey, mom, dad, like what are you reading in the Bible right now? That's a crazy question, right? Parents, talk to your kids. Hey, guys, what are you reading in the Bible? Hey, did you learn anything today in church? What stood out to you? By the way, we care about this so much that we actually give you questions to go home and talk about every week. They're in your notes. Just discussion questions. Because we, you should take it further from here. All right, so we, we, we help you out every way that we can. Talk about your faith. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, the more you start doing it with people outside. Because they're going to look at you and go, wow, you're different. What's different about you? Well, Jesus? Yeah, man, this week I've been learning that, you know, he's the only way. And like, you just fill in the blanks with what God is teaching you. And lastly, guys, I would, I would share this with you. Is, uh, at some point, you've got to start inviting people to church on a regular basis. Uh, it has to end in that. It has to get there. Um, some people, when they hear evangelism, they think, man, Pastor Jason wants me to be an evangelist. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry, you're, part, you're a missionary, like you are. Uh, missionaries have to know the gospel. You've got to know it. Uh, you've got to know that, uh, that, that God loves you. You've got to know that you've rejected him. You've got to know that he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for the sins that you've committed. You've got to know that you're a sinner. You've got to know that everyone is. And you've got to know that the wages, the penalty of that sin is death. You've got to know some basics. All right? So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's for everyone who believes. And all you have to do is call out on his name. All you have to do is, is confess that sin to him. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. It's, the gospel is not that hard to explain. But we've got to start investing in people again. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. And uh, so inviting them, that's like gospel one-on-one, 101, right? Easiest thing you could do. Hey, what are you doing Sunday? Like I said, if you don't like Sunday, that's a hard sell. Hey, what are you doing Saturday night? Teenagers, you want to come over and spend the night at my house? Because my family's going to bring you to church. You don't have to put that part in. Just tell them to bring something up. Listen, y'all, I'm not going to lie. I ended up in church. Now, I, I, I went to church in my high school years because I dated a girl. But I was far away from the Lord. I ended up in church, which led to me getting saved uh, in college because somebody literally showed up and said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. And they said, get in the car. And I got in the car. And they pulled into a church parking lot, and I said some things that God was probably not happy with. Didn't tell me where I was going. Just got, I'm not saying kidnap anybody. We don't want that, okay? Don't want that. Do not offer them candy to get in a vehicle. We're against that. Um, we're saying, though, invite people to church. Invest in their lives. It will matter, guys. 100 days, 100 people. The prayer behind it, though, get this, is not just for 100 people. It's that 100% of our people understand that this is what life is actually meant for. Wouldn't that be cool? Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for your word. It's good. Help us take this word to heart. Change us from the inside out because of what we've heard. Give us a heart for the lost. I pray this morning that maybe for the first time ever, under my leadership, that people will take home the notes and actually work through them and pray about them and ask God to change them because of what they've heard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.